So I, I wanted to kind of segue a little bit. Dan, Dan kind of started off some of this stuff last week a little bit on just this idea. But, but I really want to talk about identity and, and who we are. I, I believe fully that, that the culture that we live in, the world that we're living in, has an absolute identity crisis. And, and I'm going to hold this, that, that understanding your identity is the deepest level of change in your life. In other words, if you, if you want to see authentic and true change, you've got to understand who you really are. See, what we have this capacity that to who you envision yourself to be or what you envision yourself to be is about everything about your beliefs and it's about what you'll allow into your life. So if you have a view of yourself that's less than what God has of you, you will begin to allow things into your life that, that, that really potentially won't bless you because you believe we believe ourselves worthy of certain things. And so, so God gives us this high identity. And this amazing thing, like we were reading in, in Romans chapter 8, this idea that if you are in Christ, that you are holy, that you are blameless, that you are beyond reproach, that we are not our sin, we are not our actions, our identity is not found in those things. The dictionary defines identity as the characteristics determining who or what a person or a thing is, the concept of our role in the world around us. You see, every person seeks identity meaning and purpose in our lives. It's just part of who we are, and we will find it in something. We will seek out something to fulfill that in, in our lives. It's, it, it's knit into our souls in a way that we just cannot get away from this. It shapes our perspective. It shapes and it changes how we see the world around us. It, 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 it has everything to do with how we feel and how we interact with others and the world around us as well. It determines the place also that we will take within the world, within our communities, and it ultimately it shapes our values and our beliefs. You see, belief first shapes our identity. Much of who you see yourself to be is, is everything about what you believe. All actions basically are born out of belief. We act on what we believe, and so your belief shapes your identity. Your, your identity is also shaped by your past experiences, uh, it affects, and it affects our present. Um, it is part of our upbringing, um, our families. It affects the families then that we go ahead and we form. Um, it's influenced by and it creates the culture in which we live. And the culture around us right now is constantly trying to impose an identity upon us. It's trying to define what it is to, to be somebody, what it is to have identity, what it is to have meaning, what it is to have purpose. There's been a deep effect from media on our identity in the world, right? We, uh, we tend to find our identity in family, our citizenship, our, our, our ethnic backgrounds, our careers, our finances, our fame, uh, these are the things that the, that the, that the world is telling us they, they give us value and worth. What are your accomplishments? Uh, well, how much is in your bank account? Uh, how, much, how much authority do you have? How much, how much power do you wield? All of these things are things that the world begins to tell us that this is how we have our identity and this is the place. <clears throat> Recent articles are revealing that, that the suicide rate in, in America has risen roughly 25% to 35% in the past 20 years. 15 to 34-year-olds 
or the second, it's for the poor 15 to 34-year-olds, it's the second leading cause of death. Um, It's been across the board. It's affecting all ages, genders, races, and ethnicity groups. Something is seriously wrong with the culture that we've created around us today. It's an interesting thing. We see so many famous people. If you look and you start to look, you see that so many famous people and and people with incredible accomplishments have struggled in their lives with with suicide, have attempted suicides in their lives. Jim Carrey, Haley Berry, Elton John, Drew Barrymore, Oprah Winfrey, Demi Lovato, the very people that the world would tell us have everything, there's something incredibly missing from their lives to the point that they would even take their own lives. Michael Phelps, the amazing Olympic swimmer, after his first Olympics, he he wanted to take his life because that was his identity. It was everything about who he was, and he couldn't see where his life was headed after he had such success. He'd won it all. Ronda Rousey was the same. She was a female MMA fighter. After she lost one match, she was, she was, went into a depression, a suicidal depression, and wanted to take her life. And she said, she made the quote, nobody will care about me anymore. Nobody will care about me anymore apart from this. <clears throat> it's our identity that most needs to be changed. It's our identity that really needs to align with what God's truth is. See, your identity isn't who you say you are. It's not that little voice in your head that that speaks into your life and and begins to tell you things about yourself. It's not words that were spoke over you by someone else. It's not what's happened to you. These things don't give us our identity. Our identity has to and must come from something that transcends everything in this temporal world. And if it doesn't, we're going to struggle deeply with this. See, there's, there's an identity struggle within <clears throat> within the, 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 the communities in our world and the, and, the, and the people within our world. It's the source, really, of outrage that we see so many times in, in the LGBTQ and trans communities. You see, when people come and they disagree with, with, with their ideology, it threatens not just their ideology, it threatens their entire identity. And when our identity is threatened, we feel like we're going to die and we have to just strike back. You see, there's there's a need for the church to get the message out to the people of the world that you are not your actions. Your your actions or or what you do does not define you, that you're going to be, you must be defined from a greater place. See, our identity really has to come out of the very nature and the very character of who God is. You see, God, God has had a identity and a relationship within himself for all eternity past within the idea of the trinity it's the idea of diversity brought into perfect unity <laughs> from all eternity past god has has known himself relationally who he is what his purpose is and what the meaning of all things are it's a harmony it's it's love it's it's each other it's the co-participation in creation and redemption And we get pulled into that thing when we're in Christ. As crazy as that sounds, as mysterious as it is, and it's nothing less than an absolute mystery, when you you say yes and you're in Christ, you're brought into that relationship. You're brought into the very Godhead. 
into the Christ is in you and you are in Christ and he's in the Father and the Father and him are in the Son and the Son is in them and the Spirit is in them and it's just it's this thing where, where it's just all interwoven. Each honoring one another. See, Genesis 121, 127, I'm sorry. God's word is the place that we really have to go. It's, it's where we have to go to, to understand who we are. You see, you and I, we've got to have a basis of understanding to even begin with. If we don't have a place to start from, then, then, then we're going to be subjected to, to just subjective thought, what we think, what we feel. And what we think and what we feel doesn't bless us and doesn't bless others on many occasions. We've got to go back to this, and we've got to say, not what do I think about me, God, not what has been spoken over me, not what somebody else has said or done to me, but God, what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. This tells us that, that God has a function and he has a plan. He has a way of, of, of doing this thing that you and I have been created in the very image of God. That you're image bearers of, of who he is. And let's make no mistake about that. You see, what that means is that we're a, we're a little bit like God, but God is nothing like us. He, he's, he's far greater than us, but he's created us with, with things, compassion and love and and caring, and kindness, and a, <clears throat> and a moral ethic even that, that, he's, that he's given us, that he's created us in this very image of who he is. And, and he set us forth into the communities around us to build community, to, to, to build community, to, um, to be his representatives here. And, and you see, so this, this goes into the very core of our being. It goes into the very core of, of understanding who we are. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. God knew you before you were born. Somehow you've existed for all eternity past in the mind of God. He knew exactly the day that you would come into history, the very day that you would be born. He knit you together, it says, in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you. He knows the number of days for each and every one of us. He knows our entry point, and he knows our exit point. He knows truly who we are, and, and, and the, the, the purpose in life is so much about getting a hold of this and understanding that we've been pulled into something greater, something more beautiful than what is offered to us around here. And until we get a hold of this idea that there's something that's far more great or far more beautiful than what the world offers us, we'll be stuck trying to, trying to just take the, 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 the crumbs that the world wants to leave us. We'll, we'll get trapped into thinking that this world and this life is, is just about consumption, that it's just about having. We'll, we'll forget that it's not a, that it's about community. We'll, we'll, we'll really buy into the whole individualism that's out there and that it's about you or it's about me. It's about us. He consecrated us. He appoints us. 
And even though this is to Jeremiah the prophet, it's just as true with us today, too, that God has a plan for your life. Psalm 139.16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. But the world's kind of like this fun house. It's, it's, it's kind of like this, this crazy fun house that, that, that's out there. And, and, and it offers so much deception and illusion. You see, it's the enemy's plan to distort your identity. It's his plan to distort our purpose. It's his plan to distort what the meaning of life is to us. And it's our job, really, to, to, to find this place, a place that we can anchor up to a place where we can understand some truth. You see, our culture is undergoing an absolute truth crisis, right? It started with the whole idea of of, um, postmodernism, the idea that there is no truth. Your truth is your truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And at the end of the day, it's all true. Well, truth can't exist in that environment. I'm just going to tell you it doesn't work that way. All things can't be true. They're not true. Not all things are true. And, and, and so, but we live in this world where we've been told this, and, and we're, our truth crisis is about to, I, I truly believe this, I really believe that we're on the precipice of, of changes in our world that, that we as a people have never experienced before. I, I mean, it's, it's like it's going to be as big or bigger than the internet, like the industrial revolution. I mean, literally, the direction we're going with artificial intelligence is going to drastically change the world. It, it just is. I, I fully believe that in two years, we're really going to be, in a lot of ways, a very unrecognizable world. Right now, it, it can produce art. It can produce music. I don't know if you've heard all the buzz about chat GPT. and <clears throat> I'm really not very techie. But I'm interested in culture. So I started playing with like chat GPT and it's crazy. You, 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 can, you can say, write me a poem about an aardvark and a duck that fall in love in San Francisco and move to Louisiana. And it will write that poem in three seconds. It, it, which is interesting to me because it, it's not something that's scanning the internet and finding a poem that somebody has written and then bringing that to you, it's actually producing it. And there are things right now that it's producing art, it's producing photography, everything. You, you say, give me a picture of a koala bear dunking on LeBron James. Bam, got it. Seriously, it's, it's crazy. It, it's drastically going to change the world that we're living in. And, and it's, gonna ha- it's an ethical minefield. The ethics of what are about to just be, it's just a minefield. And we're going to have to face it as the church. We're going to have to work our way through it. But you see, this this crisis of truth is going to come because now nobody's going to know, did did you really produce that piece of art? Is is it AI? Is it it real? Is it human? We don't know. Can't tell you. But you see, I think that that is also going to create an environment in the culture and the world around us where, where, where people become hungry for truth, hungry for something to anchor up to, 
something to hold on to, something that tells them who they really are. But you see, the, the enemy comes and, and, and he's not creative. Understand this. Satan is not creative. He, he, he distorts. He, he, he mars. He just, he lies. And, and so we're looking at the world and we, we, when, we, when we don't understand who we are or, or why we're here, then we begin to see the world, all of that belief and all of those things begin to distort the rest of the world around us. And we don't see clearly. We, we don't see the world as God sees it. So what do we do with that? Well, James 1.22 says this. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And after he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets, what he was like. But the one who goes, who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he's doing. <clears throat> what is James telling us? James, James isn't telling us to, to go out and, and, and do a, a lot of, ton of good works. But he is saying this. We have to act on this. We have to do it. You, 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 you can know it. You can read it. But if you don't apply it to your lives, it'll have no impact on your life. It, it'll be words on a page if we don't actually do this thing. And what it's saying is that our putting God's word into action is so key to who we really are that you won't know who you are if you don't do that. Because <clears throat> what you'll do, and what I'll do, is you'll look in the mirror, and you'll see something there. But then you'll go away, and you'll forget who you are, and why we're here. And I'll forget who I am, and why I'm here. I love God's plan. I love what God says to us. James 1, 9 through 10. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. What is it saying? It's saying this. It's saying, you are not your economic situation. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're financially struggling today, that does not define you. You glory in your exaltation. God is lifting you up out of that. And if you're wealthy today, take heed. There's a lot of warnings about that. Why? Because wealth has a propensity and a tendency to move us away from the purposes that God has for us. It has a, a tendency to get us distracted and pulled into all kinds of other things. So what's the call there? To humble yourself. And what does it do? It levels the playing field right there. At the cross, it's all level at this place. And what God is saying this, he's saying, look, if you're a lowly brother, you are not your poverty. And if you're wealthy, you're not your stuff. Neither one of those things define us. 
It's Christ. It's our relationship to him. <clears throat> so for the believer, Galatians 3, 27 and 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. The world is looking for equality. And in this crazy way, is bringing absolute division into the world in the name of equality. But you see, equality exists in Christianity. There is equality there. There is none that are higher or better or, or more able or any of those kinds of things than anybody else in this. As a matter of fact, as the Christian, we, we have to recognize that it's not about me. It's about God. It's about everything that he has done for me. I bring nothing to this. Empty hands, empty pockets. I bring nothing. It's all him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's an interesting thing because sometimes as we were challenged with this idea of identity, one of the big drawbacks for people, one of the big barriers to Christianity is that people sometimes feel like I'm going to lose who I am. I'm going to lose my identity if I, if I come to Christ because he's telling us we got to die to yourself and you got to be born again. <clears throat> what we don't realize is that we're actually living in a way that we were never intended to live. If we're living apart from Christ, then, then we're living Apart from our creator, this is, a, this is a, a way that we were never intended to, to live. This isn't our true identity. Our true identity is in relationship to him, walking with him through life, hearing from him, walking with him, actually recognizing that I have died, but it's Christ who lives in me. I've been joined into this place. I've been pulled into the Godhead, and so have you, and this is our right existence. This is how we were always created to live. This is how we were created to do life and face life. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, <clears throat> a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Sorry, let me change that. Crazy that God would say that we're his possession. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't know why God would really want me. But that's what it says. It says the reality about this relationship is that he has chose us to be his own possession, that he cares and that he loves us and that he has chosen us. And it reminds us too, remember, once you weren't a people, but now you are. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you are. 
And what does it do? It tells us, it reminds us that you're no better than anybody that's outside of the church. The only thing that's brought you inside of the church and into God's family is his goodness and his grace. Now remember that as you go out and you approach the world, remember that we're to remember that we were just as lost and just as messed up and, and just still had just so many things going on before we were in Christ. And then we need to humble ourselves and recognize that even though we have Christ, that we're still a mess and that we've still got stuff and we still have a great need for Jesus in our lives. And he's there and he, he meets us with grace and mercy and forgiveness day after day that when we are faithful and we, we are faithful to, to repent and to acknowledge our sins and he's a God who's faithful to forgive us and restore us and renew us. Ephesians 2 you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. What is it it's saying? It's saying this. It says, we were lost, and we were deceived by the world, and we, were, we, were, we thought life was about all of these different things, but then God, he intervened in our lives, and he, and he changed our lives, and he showed us, and I hope he's showing us something that's much bigger and such, much grander and something that's much more beautiful than what the world offers so that we won't be drawn back into that, so that we'll recognize and we'll be mindful of really why we're here and that we'll go out into the world around us with a message of hope and grace and love and mercy. And hopefully, because we exist as a church, we'll make heaven a more crowded place. Colossians 3, put on the new self. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, and so are you, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. that we've been raised, that we're above, that we're to be a people who, are, who are seek the things that are above, that we're supposed to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and then allow him in our lives to, to add everything else that he wants to add to us. And to trust and to know that what he has is he has the perfect plan for us. He has the perfect things for us. And he's given us 
this new self, a new identity. We see it in the Bible. We see that Abraham got a new name. Abram became Abraham. Simon became Peter. We, we, we see this idea because your name is, is at the core of your identity. It's an expression that they were a new creation, that they were brand new. And then it was God who had given them, given them that name. John 10, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. It's a beautiful picture, this idea of a shepherd and, and the way it went back then when, when at night all of the village would put their, their, their sheep together in a big sheepfold so that they would be protected. And then in the morning, they'd open up the, the gate and the shepherds would begin to speak or sing or whatever they did and the sheep would begin to file out and they would go to their shepherd. And then the shepherd wouldn't drive them from behind. He would walk in front and all of his sheep would follow him. And this is the picture of this shepherd and hearing his voice. You see, God's voice is calling out to us today. And it's calling us out of this world and into something much more glorious. Something in where <coughs> we can have an identity. We can be washed of our sins. We can be forgiven. That, 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 that we don't have to live by the standard that the world says. That the world says, no, this is who you are. You are your actions and you must stay here. See, the gospel offers hope. It offers a new identity. It doesn't ever tell you that you need to stay where you're at or that, 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 you, that you have no hope. The gospel is this idea that, that, there's, that there's hope, that we can be freed from our past, that we can walk in, in newness of life, that we can be holy, blameless, and beyond reproach because he pays the penalty for sin, past, present, and future. And deposits into our account righteousness. Not because we deserve it, but because he's a God that's that good. Who loves us that much? The only way to really put off our false identity is to see something more beautiful. To see this plan that God has. We need God to determine what our true identity is. So that it doesn't rest in the material, or the temporal, or the fickle. We were created by him and for him, and our hearts are restless until they find their home in him, Augustine. So who are you? Maybe the better question is whose are you? Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you give us a true identity, that you have called us out, that you are equipping us, that you're changing us, that, God, you're redeeming our past, and you're reminding us, God, that we are not, are not our actions. So, Lord, I'm just praying over each and every one of us, that, God, that we would live into the true identity of who we are, that we wouldn't be deceived by the world, that we wouldn't allow shame of our past to, 
to hinder our future, that we would receive the healing and the hope and the goodness that you have for us. And God, help us to not just be carried away by the things of the world. Help us not to be consumed by them. Help us to not be deceived by what the world offers. Help us to walk just in, uh, in who you say we are. And help us to stay rooted and anchored in you because we belong to you. And that we might walk out every day of our lives from here out just in pursuit of you and, and serving you and your kingdom, being pleasing to you in all that we are and all that we do. So all of our praise and all of our glory is, is focused to you, that we give you all things, Lord. And we want you to just be enthroned upon the praises of your people here. We want to please you, Lord, in this community, Lord. We, we want to reach out into the community. We want to love this place so well that, that people will be flocking to understand more about this relationship that they can have with you. So, Lord, you got to change us. you got to change our hearts. Help us, Lord, with our distortions. Help us with, with the places that we don't see clearly. Lord, give us eyes that come from you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.